Welcome to Tax Wrap, the podcast of Tax and Super Australia. Each fortnight, we present news and insights to tax and SMSF practitioners. If you've got any questions, comments or even suggestions, get in touch at podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the Tax Wrap podcast. This is episode 222. I'm your host, Steve Burnham. Now, um, I spoke to Sharif Aldebs, who's the founding director at Assured Super, who has a notice for all SMSF trustees and practitioners uh, that the um, Australian Professional Ethical Standards Board has just issued, or in May, just issued uh, a new guide on independence. And um, Sharif tells us that uh, this may tighten the way things are done in the auditing world for SMSFs. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Sharif. Thanks for, for talking to the Tax Wrap podcast. It's good to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Um, now, I believe that there's been a change to ethical standards that's um, tightened the conditions that, that uh, auditing can be done for SMSFs. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so what's happened is um, the Australian Professional Ethical Standards Board has um, released guidelines in regard to independence. Okay. Um, nothing's really changed within APES 110, which is um, uh, the Code of Ethics, which has been around for a while. Okay. And that, and that Code of Ethics does um, uh, discuss the independence requirements. Right. But this independence guide, which was released, I think, in May 2020, provides some practical examples and, and shows how uh, the independence, well, shows how APES 110 one one zero should be applied. Right. Now, this is independence between um, uh, a firm who does the auditing of an SMSF and the and the accounting work, as it were. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not a practitioner myself, yeah. so I'm, I'm stating this in layman's terms. But so it's independence between the the body who does the accounting and the body who does the auditing. Yeah. So, look, a good thing about these guidelines is that it does recognise the relationship between the auditor and the referral partner. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's not just the relationship between the auditor and the trustee themselves. So what's, what's the usual situation? When you, when you say referral partner, so that's um, the accounting firm, for instance. That's an example of what a referral partner would be? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what's yeah. the usual, yeah. at, at, at the moment, what's the usual process? Well, from a trustee's point of view, what they will do is that they will um, engage their accountant to prepare the financial statements. Right. And then basically leave it up to the um, accountant to um, uh, source the auditor okay. to complete the audit of the work. So there is a relationship there between the um, auditor um, and the accounting firm. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, would, I would really imagine, oh, just from my own point of view, I would imagine if I go to a practitioner and say, here's, my, here's the books, fix up, you know, do my SMSF books and... I mean, personally, I would just leave it to the practitioner to, to take care of other tasks like auditing. I assume that that's what would happen. But is it, is it the case that the yeah. trustee can have a say or, or should or does? Yeah, I mean, look, I guess the trustee can have a say in terms of who they want to audit the fund. Yeah. But I would say probably 99.9% of the time that, yeah. The, yeah, that the trustee will just leave it all up to the accountant and just say, yeah, here's all my books, you deal with everything. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you say there's been so there's been a change or a tightening of the 
the uh, the standards with auditing yep. and with this type of referral. I mean, why tighten? Why why has this come about? Do you think? To be honest, I I think it's a a worldwide thing. I think oh, yeah. I think I think the quality of audit has come under question, mm. um, and not just with SMSFs, just in like in all audits in general. Oh, okay. Um, so, and I think this is part of that as in terms of um, increasing the quality of audit work. Right. And I guess um, APES saw this as an opportunity to maybe provide some clarity around independence in terms yep. of increasing the quality of audit work. Right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, is there, is there inherent dangers in this sort of work? Or like, what is the threat to, to independence that the, the Ethical Standards Board seeks to address? Yeah, well, I guess the threat to independence hasn't changed. So there, you know, there have always been those threats there and there's, you know, five, five types of threats. Okay. Um, yeah, so you've got your, your self-interest threat where basically, um, you know, could you be impacted financially? Um, you know, like, is there a threat that they may impact you financially? So, you know, so okay. that's one threat. Yep. Um, there's a self-review threat, like can you audit your own work? Um, uh, there's like an advocacy threat in regard to, um, you know, will you promote, yes, like are you someone that promotes a client's position? And if you are promoting a client, can you do the audit work of that client? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's, a there's a familiarity threat, and that's due to having um, a close relationship with the client, um, you know, to the point where you may become too sympathetic to their interests. And then there's like an intimidation threat. Intimidation? Where the yeah, where you oh. can, like, for example, um, you know, for example, if you took the audit of your employer's um, self-managed super fund. So let's say oh, that you're engaged okay. to do the audit of your employer's self-managed super fund. Yeah. Um, there's that perceived threat that if you guess, you know, uh, provide an opinion um, that your employer employer wasn't happy with, then they um, may try to intimidate you with the, like your employment, for oh, example. Employment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so the, there's these inherent dangers and threats to, to independence. Um, is in in those i mean i'd imagine it'd be quite hard not to feel intimidated sometimes if you're in that situation i mean are there any instances where it's kind of impossible to to kind of level out those threats like in, to mitigate those threats it's, there may be well like in the guidance that um uh, that was put out by apes um in may 20 they've identified there's four threats um yep. where it, you know where it may be um difficult or maybe impossible to mitigate those threats. So you can always, you know, the standard always talks about having safeguards in place to mitigate, um, uh, you know, like these types of risks. But but within this guidance, they've actually said there's, you know, four types of scenarios where, you know, where that risk may be impossible to mitigate. So okay. one of them is, um, you know, where like an auditor cannot audit their own family member's fund. Um, and that's for obvious reasons. Yep. You, you know, you've got the familiarity threat. You could have also have like intimidation threat and so on. Yeah. Um, um, like an auditor cannot audit the SMSF where a partner within the own firm is a member or trustee of that SMSF. So okay. you can't audit your partner's fund because you've got, you got that close business relationship. Yep. Um, uh, like an auditor cannot audit the, and then 
Next one is that the auditor cannot audit the SMSF where they have a business relationship with the trustee of the SMSF. So if you're in business with the um, trustee, you shouldn't be auditing uh, that trustee's fund. No. Um, but the one that's caused the most controversy um, and, and has received um, a lot of airplay, I guess, is um, they've also said that, um, that an auditor cannot audit an SMSF where the auditor, their staff or their firm has prepared the financial statements for the SMSF unless it is of a routine or mechanical service. Unless it is a routine or mechanical service. Okay. That's an so, interesting term, routine or mechanical. What, yeah. what, what does that entail? What, what's a mechanical service, for instance? A routine and mechanical service would be where there is very little or no professional judgment in preparing the financial statements. Okay. Um, it's just all numbers, more or less. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess if you were to um, compare it um, to a non-SMSF audit, um, and this and, and to this does happen quite a bit. Right. Um, you know, you, you know, you may go out and do an order uh, for a company. That company has their own in-house accountant who um, processes the transactions for the whole year, um, prepares the general ledger, um, you know, does the payroll tax, lodges the basses, sort of like does all of that. Get the accounts up to a, a trial balance stage. Okay. Um, but then they may not have the resources or the capability to um, to put those numbers in a set of financial statements. So the auditor will then take those numbers, put it in a financial statement. You know, that can be seen as routine and mechanical. I mean, the, um, I guess the auditor is not auditing their own numbers. All they're doing um, is plugging in the client's numbers yep. into some type of template to produce a set of financial statements. All right. So that, that's mechanical and, and a regular task. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but, in, but in the SMSF world, rarely does that happen. So, really? okay. So we're talking yeah. about like a, a normal accounting world and an SMSF world. That's a good way to put it, actually. So, yeah. so in the yeah. SMSF world, that, that rarely happens or, or may not happen, you're saying, sorry? Oh, look, I'd say, look, I'd probably say from my experience that probably would rarely happen. Okay, really. Um, yeah you know, that the accountant, uh, you know, would, um, well, sorry, that the trustee would prepare the, the set of financial statements up to trial balance stage. Yep. Um, and then just give those numbers to their accountant to prepare the financial statements. So they're more or less just handing over all of their um, bank statements, um, mm. source documents. These days we've got data feeds. Oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and then the accountant will prepare the financial statements on their own system using you know, their own resources um, to, you know, to prepare, you know, their financial statements. Yeah. Um, and basically within the guide, they basically, they've come up with this wording where what they mean by routine and mechanical is basically um, preparing financial statements based on information in the client approved trial balance um, and, and, and preparing the related notes based on client approved records. Right. So they're basically saying, well, to be routine and mechanical, the, the client would have to prepare the accounts up to the trial balance stage, hand them over to the um, accounting team, um, and then all they're doing is just plugging those numbers into the, um, you know, their financial statement template. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, what, what, what would be the difference when an SMSF practitioner 
gets their hands on 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 these numbers what would be the difference between i guess when um in some respects in the smsfl the trustees handing over that responsibility mm -hmm. um to their accountant to prepare the financial statements whereas in the um non-smsf world yeah um generally the the company would take on that responsibility in regard to preparing the financial statements right right so yeah so yeah yeah so i guess it comes down to responsibility okay okay so what sort of difference will this make do you think to to trustees i mean what the professional standards ethical standards board has you were saying before we started recording when we were off air that uh, there's a whole chapter now dedicated to smsfs um yeah it's new guidance on independence which is interesting so they're obviously uh, putting a bit of a focus on smsfs but how will that change uh what trustees do and practitioners do I guess it will sort of change the way that um, accounting firms so, um, service service their clients. Oh, okay. Um, I guess they're not going to give up doing the financial statements. So, because that's because that's really where the trustee needs help in like in regard to preparing those financial statements. Right. So where you have, for example, um, a practice where you have, you know, one division that prepares the financial statements and another division that does the audit, but you're still within the same firm or network or firm, yep. then that may, um, yeah, then that may, you know, compromise your independence and you may have to give up one or the other. Oh, really? Now, you would, now, yeah. And look, I can't see firms giving up doing the accounting work, but, but they probably would give up doing the audit work okay like really. in that situation yeah unless they can you know you know mitigate that risk i mean because because these guidelines they basically say the you know the task has to be routine and mechanical and then on top of that you need to have safeguards in place anyway right, so okay. yeah so it's not just about it being routine and mechanical is that you also need to have um um you know safeguards in place and that could involve having a second person review the audit a second professional review the audit um, or have professionals in another division, you know, doing the accounting work. Right, right. I'm, I'm just wondering, um, with um, our listeners who are in that situation, if they want to maintain the accounting work and the auditing work, just wonder what sort of practical steps they can take to um, satisfy the APE's independence requirements, uh, but yep. maintain maintain the portfolio of work that they've got. What, what do you think yep. the approach would be? Well, I guess it all comes down... Well, look, they, look, I guess they've got to document their approach and they've got to document why they think that they're independent. Okay. Um, they would have to document for each file, I guess. They would have to document for each file why, the, why they consider the accounting function, function to be routine and mechanical. Okay. You know, there is some talk around and, you know, around data feeds and if you're just getting data feeds, providing no no other professional judgment on top of that right you know, is that considered to be routine and mechanical mm. maybe maybe not so yeah, it, it not sounds sure. like it sounds like a good first step is to document everything that's right yeah okay. yeah so yeah so yeah it's all going to come down to the documentation the other right. thing is is that the aco are going to be looking at this they've actually said this is on their radar oh really so they will be looking at um firms you know that have the you know you know where the tax agent's address is the same as the auditor's address and so on oh right okay yeah they will be um but at the same time what they're saying is is that they're they're not gonna 
Oh, compliance resources. Yeah, right. compliance resources initially yeah. until at least 2021. Right. Um, well, they start questioning like accounting practices. Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah. so, so I guess what they're doing is they're allowing some accounting firms to get um, their house in order. Okay. Um, before they come. Um, With those know, compliance resources. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I, I know yeah. That quite a, just one, one last point. Um, um, and thanks for your time today, Sharif, by the way. One last point. Um, I know that a few years ago it was a bit of a problem or there was a bit of an issue with um, offshoring of the auditing work. Um, and that presented its own sort of problems. Do you think, is there a danger that the new um, expectation on independence may coerce some firms to again go offshore for their auditing work or that's not really a, a danger these days? No, that's a good point. I mean, like, there's not. I mean, look, I wouldn't say there's a problem with offshoring, but I think if you think you can offshore your work as a safeguard, there is an example within the guidelines that says that that doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't use the word offshoring; it uses the word contractor. So, for example, okay. you know, you could have a um, a firm, for example, where they do the accounting and the audit in house, and they've said, well, okay, we're going to outsource the accounting work. To a contractor, so a contractor will come in, and they will, you know, prepare the accounts and so on. And this guideline sort of says that that doesn't really mitigate the risk because the accounting firm is still responsible for oh, the right. accounting work. Yep. So they're still responsible for the accounting work. They're going to review that that work done by the contractor, or they should review that work done by the contractor. Yeah. And then and then they're going to pass it on to the audit division within their same firm. So they're still responsible for both. So mm. that it's. it's uh, um, I don't know whether that's going to mitigate the risk, but in terms of, uh, I mean, offshoring work, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's a different conversation altogether. Okay. But, yeah. Um, but in terms of mitigating your risk, I'm not sure whether that's an appropriate safeguard. Okay. Oh, that's good. Good to know. All right. So, uh, so sure if the, uh, the document you mentioned for the APES document was H110, so people can go and look that up, I assume. Yeah. And the, and the guideline, and is a separate document, which okay. is, you know, it's just basically called Independence Guide, um, 5th edition, May 2020. May 2020. So it's just happened, more or less. Yeah. More or less, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, but also within those guidelines as well, there's a whole lot of other scenarios that they've talked about, which we, um, in terms of um, different types of scenarios as well. So oh, they've cool. also got another scenario in there about, um, a recently retired partner who then is contracted to do the audit work for that accounting firm. Oh. Again, they've said, you know, it'd be very difficult to have uh, safeguards in place that mitigate that independence risk as well, because yes. yeah. um, the the recently retired audit partner would be familiar would be very familiar with the audit um, what, clients and so yes. on. Yes, I see. Um, so it's always good to get those scenarios. I'm I'm, I'm happy when they do that because it sets up like real life situations, as it were. I mean, the recently retired partner, that's a good, that's a good one. Yes, yes, right. yes. Yep. Um, okay. They also talk about, there's another one in here about firms offering financial planning. Um, so oh, if your yeah. firm offers f uh, financial planning services to the audit client, mm -hmm. again, that's a very hard risk to, to mitigate, you yep. doing the audit work yep. when your firm... Um, provides the advice. Yeah, provides the investment advice or okay. provides strategy advice and so yeah. on yeah so it sounds like it'd be be holding on um, listeners to go and have a read of the uh in, in the guide, guide on independence 
uh, yes. it's been published. All right, very good. Okay, yeah. um, thanks very much for your time, Sharif. Um, that's been very informative and uh, be holding on practitioners and trustees to go and have do a bit of reading.